Today we want to continue with the series that we're in, Growing in Knowing God. We've primarily <clears throat> been in two books, the book of Philippians and the book of Ephesians. As we've seen in the book of Philippians, Paul let us know that there was not anything of equal importance in his life. There was nothing in his life that equaled the importance of his knowing God. And knowing God is essential if we're going to live for him. If we're going to accomplish the purpose for which we've been born, we must know God. And we learned from Philippians 3, Paul wrote in the first uh, seven or eight verses about all the things that he used to place his confidence in, but that that had changed. He, he placed his, before he knew Christ, he placed his confidence on where he was born. He was born in Israel. He placed his confidence in the tribe he was born into. He was born into the Benjaminite tribe. He placed his confidence in his education. Paul was highly, he would have been one of the most highly educated men in his generation. And he placed his confidence in that. He was very proud of his education. He placed his confidence in the knowledge that he had of the scriptures. He knew the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. No one knew the Torah better than Paul knew the Torah. And he placed his confidence in that. That tells me Paul was not very humble. And he placed his confidence in his own righteousness. Oh, he walked uprightly. He was a Pharisee. Remember the Pharisees even tithed out of their garden herbs, dill and mint and cumin. He kept every jot and tittle of the law. So he had a lot of confidence in his own righteousness. And he was very passionate about persecuting those who believed differently than he believed. For example, he was a great persecutor of the early Christians who were Jews, who had been born again into the kingdom of God. He persecuted them ferociously. Those were the things Paul once put his confidence in. But then we come to Philippians 3 and verses 7 through 8. And I like this contemporary English version. But, he says, Christ has shown me that what I once thought was valuable is worthless. Nothing is as wonderful. Church, it's very important that we believe this. Nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I've given up everything else and counted all as garbage. All I want is Christ. 
Can you say that today? And it be true for you and true for me as well as for Paul. When Paul said, all I want is Christ. Church, we're going to look at what that means practically today. We can study this and leave church and not understand how to apply it in our lives. But Paul, having been very successful, very well educated, he was very well off. He sat among the chief people in his generation of whom Paul was one. Paul was a very significant person in his generation. Yet, after receiving salvation, after being born again, God went to work in Paul's life, and he eventually came to the point that he, he could write in the book of Philippians and say, all I want is Christ. Everything else is worthless to me. Now, church, in saying that, I want to say again, I want to make this clear. We're not saying an education is worthless. No, I think it's important to have an education. I can tell you from personal experience, I, I went to university. My parents had five kids. I was the firstborn. It was a struggle for me to go. It was costly. Uh, it was kind of groundbreaking. My parents weren't university graduates, but they were determined we could go. But I can, I'm thankful for my education. It enables, it's had a part in enabling me to do what I do today. But I can say, I can look you in the eye and say, after I was born again, boy, I, I don't know, I had to throw out at least two-thirds of it. You know, I had to unlearn and re-educate myself. I got a true education, a real education, one that mattered after I was born again. <clears throat> and Saul began to realize through going to the scripture how much of my education was actual error. It was man's thinking. It may have been the best man could come up with, but it was E-double-R-O-R, -R, era. And I had to renew my mind to the Word of God, kick that education out, and receive and make room in my heart to receive the knowledge of God. And, you know, I realized... Uh, after I began reading the word, I went through a process where my mind, which was argumentative, in other words, I was a trained debater. And I would have to submit myself because I could go to the word of God and, and argue with the word of God, if you can imagine that. Oh my goodness, I thank God for the breakthroughs of the Holy Spirit that would in, 
unable light to come in where there was great blindness. Now, I know people don't think they have great blindness, but do you know we can even be born again and have great blindness? And the Lord removes layer upon layer. It's here a little and there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. If you're a student of the Word of God, we will always be going through that process where God reveals more and more light to us. So we don't put our confidence in an education. We don't put our confidence in our name or who we know or how much money we have, what car we drive, what house we live in, what our address is. Do you know I've had people come up to me in the past and I would be being introduced to them. They would be introducing themselves to me and I would be welcoming them and, and I would say, now where do you live? And they would look down and maybe they would say, Mathari. Church, there's no shame in living in Mathari. Do you hear me? Do we put our confidence in our address? There's, there's no shame in living in an area that might be called a slum. That, that does not make you less than or more than. Do you understand? See, those are not the things we put our confidence in. We put our confidence in God. Not the exterior things, but the work that he does inwardly. In the Amplified Bible, verse 8 says, but more than that, I count everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of growing more and more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, a joy unequaled. Now notice, he's saying, as I grow more and more thoroughly acquainted with him, it produces a joy that nothing else can produce in your life. Church, there's nothing that can produce the joy of knowing Jesus in your life. Having an intimate relationship with him. Being, uh, being closely uh, in union with him. Nothing can equal that. In Mark chapter 4 and verses 18 through 19, we're going to look at, at a heart here. It says, and the ones sown among thorns, this is seed, such as the seed of the word of God. And the ones sown among the thorns are others who hear the word, then the cares and anxieties of the world and distractions of the age. Boy, do we have a lot of distractions in this age. And the pleasure and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desire for other things. Church, that's other things than knowing God. It's a craving and passionate desire for other things than the word of God. 
and the presence of God. They enjoy other things much more than they enjoy knowing God. And these things creep in and choke and suffocate the word and it becomes fruitless. We're not, when we're not pursuing the knowledge of God, when we do not have a plan to grow in God, then it is so easy for other things to come in, other things to get our attention, other things begin to delight us, other things begin to occupy our thoughts and our time. And sure enough, the word that we once paid attention to, we're no longer paying attention to. The word that was once delivering us is no longer coming in. We're no longer being delivered. Do you know you can get stuck in your growth in knowing God? And you can have a big body but be a watoto. You can have a grown-up body and be a watoto when it comes to knowing God. And you know, we've got some Watoto who know God in this church. We've got some blessed children who know the Word of God. So you know, you've got different kinds of hearts. Church, you have to make room in your life to know God. You have to make a plan to know God. Do you have a plan to be in the Word each and every day? Or have the things of the world crowded out the word of God and, and you're no longer growing. You're, you're no longer receiving insight and revelation and guidance for your life because you're not in the word. You know, church, you don't just wake up in the morning when you wake up. I mean, you may have a day when you get up later and everything, but, but you know, you've got to have a plan. To know the word of God. You've got to, I, I don't know about you, I'm, I may see Tina in the kitchen. I go down there, Pastor Davies and I drink coffee. Tina doesn't drink coffee. I may run in to Tina in, in the kitchen and say, hi, Tina, good morning. But normally the first person I say hi to is I say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Lord. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving me. I begin the day greeting God, thanking God, acknowledging God, and I go make the coffee, and I come back up to my room, and I get in the Word. I don't go on Facebook. Of course, I don't go on Facebook anyway, but I don't go on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram. <clears throat> I'm not checking WhatsApp, my text messages, or my emails. Who is number one? God is number one. So the way I've structured my life, if he's number one, then the first thing I do is go to his word. And I eat of his word. I've said this before. Matthew 4, 4. You've heard this over and over again. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth 
of God. This is how we live in the kingdom of God. I want to ask you, church, do you have a plan? I don't know about you, but every day I read the proverb of the day. Today's the 26th. I read Proverbs 26. Tomorrow's the 27th. I will read Proverbs 27 tomorrow. And then there are other. I read in the Old Covenant. I read in Proverbs or Psalms. And I read in the New Covenant. I've got a plan. And this is not, I'm not reading to, to preach. This is not that kind of study. This is union and communion with my God. And I'll sit down and I'll just say, Lord, open my eyes. Give me spiritual sight. Grant me spiritual hearing. Grant me comprehension today of your word. Speak to me and reveal your heart to me through your word. And there are just prayers. It's not the same every day. Whatever rises up in my heart, I begin to lift that before the Lord. And then the first thing I do is read the proverb of the day. Church, you've got to make room in your life for the word of God. And make room in your heart for the word of God. Rather than participating in all manner of distractions that the world offers. So in Philippians 3.8, Paul wrote that he counted everything as loss, or you could say, one translation says garbage, another translation, I believe it's the message, says dog dung. <laughs> he counts everything else as inconsequential compared to knowing God. And then church in Philippians 3.17 in the New Living Translation he wrote dear brothers and sisters do we have any brothers and sisters in the house today? Dear right over here good dear brothers and sisters pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. In other words, it was not only Paul who needed to count all other things as loss, but every Christian, if you're going to grow in God, this is a decision you will need to make that we're all supposed to live like this. In fact, church, we're to live our lives counting everything as loss or not as important as knowing Jesus Christ. This is actually basic Christianity. This is basic. If we don't get this right, then we won't make room in our hearts and our lives to know him and live for him. Jesus said in Luke 14 and verse 33, So then, any of you who does not forsake, this is the Amplified Classic, who does not forsake, renounce, surrender claim to, give up, and say goodbye to 
all that he has cannot be my disciple. You can be born again and not count all things as loss for the knowledge, for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. You can be born again, but you cannot be Jesus' disciple till you make this decision. I am going to count everything else as loss or less than important than knowing God. It's a decision every disciple of Christ has to make. Otherwise, we won't have room in our hearts to know him. To forsake, to renounce and surrender all means the same thing as counting all things as loss. Imagine Jesus said this. He said, you cannot know me. You cannot be my disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is one who is being taught and trained to follow another. A disciple is one who is bringing spiritual discipline into their lives. So they don't just keep going around the same mountain. You're going around that mountain in your 20s. You're going around the same mountain in your 30s. You're going around that same mountain now in your, in your 40s. And if you don't do what it takes to become a disciple, when you're 50, you'll still be going around that same mountain. And you know it's possible you can fall dead, lose your life, and you never really knew the Lord. You never followed him. You never fulfilled his purpose for your life. You had a destiny, but you did not make room in your life to know God. And so you lived out years of your life without the knowledge of God and without knowing how to do the will of God. It is possible to be born again and you go to heaven and you have no rewards waiting for you because you did not make the decision that every disciple has to make. And that is, I will be one who is taught of the Lord. I'm going to take time in my life to get to know the Lord my God. Hallelujah. Church, you, all of us should have that desire to be a disciple. But it means we have to count everything else as loss. This is why many Christians remain defeated and immature. Selah. But this is why many Christians remain defeated and immature. They do not, they have not submitted their lives to knowing God. They still love the world. They're still dazzled by the things of the world. They love the things that are in the world more than they love God. You can be a Christian, but many Christians have never counted everything as loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ. 
They've never made room in their hearts and lives for knowing him and living for him. They have a crowded heart. In Matthew 13 and verse 44, in the Passion Translation, there is a one-verse parable that is very wonderful. It says, heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. So we're talking about the kingdom of God. A person discovered that there was hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have that treasure. This is a wonderful parable. What does it mean? In ancient Israel, when someone found a buried treasure, in other words, they were digging around and unearthed a treasure, <clears throat> that treasure belonged to the owner of the property, not to the person who found it, but it belonged to the owner of the property on which it was found. But if the finder bought the property from the original owner, then everything in it would belong to the finder. So Jesus is telling us that what seems like a costly sacrifice today will one day be revealed as something so small compared to having the riches of the kingdom of God in your life. Maybe something you need to sacrifice. There may be a relationship in your life that is not godly. And it's preventing you from going forward. It's, that relationship is proving to be a hindrance in your life. And you know this person is not good for me. They do not have a good influence on me. I do things I know I'm not supposed to do when I'm around this person. I talk in a way, I know it's not godly to talk that way, but when I'm around this person, we just talk like the world talks, then you have to go home and repent. Well, let me tell you something. No, Having that relationship, and, and deciding, I'm going to sacrifice that relationship. It's a small thing in comparison to obtaining the riches of the kingdom of God in your life. It could be a relationship. It could be a habit. It could be any number of things. What might seem like a costly sacrifice to make today. When you look at eternal things, it's a small thing. It won't even add up too much. Church, we need to comprehend this now. That knowing God, knowing his will, knowing the plan of heaven for our lives does not happen automatically. This kind of revelation knowledge is released to true disciples. It's not released to every Christian. 
There are many Christians who, whose hearts are not receptive to the Word of God. Their minds are not trained to think like God. Their lives are undisciplined and disobedient lives, yet they're Christians, and, and I'm sure if they're truly born again, when they die, they'll go to heaven, but no reward. They haven't pleased the Lord with their life on earth. Hallelujah. Church, is this making sense? Recognize, understand this. The kingdom of God requires our highest commitment. The kingdom of God requires our highest commitment. It requires a greater commitment than you've made to your husband or your wife. It requires a higher commitment than the love of a parent for a child. Now, we're not minimizing any of this, but you can't compare these human relationships with knowing God. Knowing God and serving Him in the kingdom of God is worth more than any other relationship. It's worth more than any other pursuit in our lives or any kind of personal gain or personal goal you might obtain. The kingdom of God requires the highest level of commitment in your life. Everything else, when that's not in order, when knowing God is not first place in your life, there are hindrances in your life. Whatever we give up, surrender, renounce, or sacrifice for the sake of knowing Jesus is a small thing compared to the riches of knowing him and pleasing him and living for him and fulfilling his will. Well, how do we live this way? How, what practical steps or what kind of thinking must we have if we're going to live in a way that a disciple is required to live? Well, number one, how, how do we live this way? Number one, if we must choose between Christ and anyone or anything else, we choose Christ. Whether it's relationships, friendships, a job, money, whatever it is, we don't put anything above Christ. If it comes down, we've got to make a choice. You've got a choice you've got to make. When it comes down to Christ, knowing him and serving him, and another relationship or an issue or whatever it is, it, it might be money or whatever it is, we always choose Christ. That's what a disciple would do. A disciple will choose Christ before and above anything else this life offers. Number two, a disciple, what does it mean 
to count all things as laws for the knowledge of God. Number two, we will live our lives in such a way that we purpose that everything we're involved in will draw us closer to Jesus. Or we won't be involved in it. That activity that you're being invited to join in with, will it draw you closer to Jesus? Our purpose in everything we do is to gain more of Christ and church, let me say, enjoy Him. In other words, when I'm making a decision about activities, my purpose in every activity, the purpose of a disciple in every activity is to gain more of Christ. Boy, this will work on your motives. Gaining more of Christ. Will this relationship, will this activity, will this job, whatever decision I'm making. Now, my motive is always to gain more of Christ. Will this contribute to that or will it hinder me in my walk with God? Not only to gain more of Christ, but to enjoy him. After you participate in that activity, will you have regret? Or will you have fullness of joy? Participating in that relationship, will you have regret? Do you find yourself experiencing regret after spending time with that person? Or do you have fullness of of joy because the purpose of a disciple is always to gain more of Christ in our lives. You sure are quiet, church. Are you listening? Number three, we will always deal with the things of the world. This is a decision. This is the way a person who is counting all things as loss for the privilege of knowing him, we think this way. We will always deal with the things of the world, whether it's money, possessions, a job, salary, fame, whatever it is. We always deal with the things of the world this way, with this attitude. They are not our treasure. The things of the world are not what we treasure in our hearts. I can appreciate it. I can use the things of the world for the sake of the gospel. I can appreciate it. I can be thankful for it. But it's not my treasure. Church, can I hear an amen? It's not, it's not the treasure that fills my heart. Jesus Christ alone is my treasure. See, this is the attitude of a disciple. This is the thinking of someone who is counting all things as loss for the priceless privilege of knowing Christ. Jesus Christ is my treasure.
We hold the things of this world loosely so that if Jesus asks me to give that away, I can do it with a generous spirit. It doesn't have a hold on me. I may have it in my possession, but it does not possess me because the things of this world are not my treasure. So if Jesus says, give that car away, church, you can give that car away joyfully. Without fainting. Without fainting in your mind or fainting in your body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we hold. A disciple holds the things of this world loosely. And number four, counting all things as loss means that if we lose anything or everything this world has to offer, we will not lose our joy, we will not lose our treasure, and we will not lose our life because Jesus is our joy, Jesus is our treasure, and Jesus is our life. Church, can you say amen? Jesus wrote in John 10 and verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Church, it is disciples of Jesus who know him. Just being born again does not mean you know him, but it is disciples of Jesus who know him. Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking, in other words, this is a prayer you don't just pray one time. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. As we seek to know God, the Holy Spirit grants the believer the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And church, the knowledge of God is the highest form of knowledge that exists. Ephesians 1.18 in the New King James says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. We, I want to stop right there. We said last week, Luke 10.19 reveals the calling of Jesus. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is Jesus' calling. So what is the hope of his calling? The hope of his calling is that it will be revealed to his church, his body, in every generation, church, that the will of God is always for us to seek and save the lost in our generation. Jesus is not walking the earth to do that work, but his body, the church, is walking the earth to do that work. And so uh, th this is something the believer must know. I'm not just here to live out decade after decade doing what everyone else does 
in my generation. I'm here to seek and to save the lost. Hallelujah. When we know this, then we understand that as the body of Christ, his calling is our calling. Now let's go to the next phrase in Ephesians 1.18, the New King James Version. Paul continued praying that we, he, we may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now church, this phrase does not refer to our inheritance, but it refers to Christ's inheritance in us. This is not our inheritance. Notice what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. God wants us to know this. He wants us to understand the riches of his, of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. The riches of, church, church let me say this, God looks on us as his wealth. God looks on us as his treasure, as his inheritance. When we bring God's souls, when we lead others into the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're making God richer. Hallelujah. He wants us to understand this. The phrase, the riches of his glory, church, is Christ in us. Colossians 1, verses 26 through 27. Look at this. It says, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. What is the mystery? To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the riches of the glory, this is a great mystery. But the riches of the glory is Christ in you and Christ in me, the hope of glory. Church Christ lives in us. The glorious one lives in us. We're his saints, his inheritance. We are the inheritance of God. It's not just any inheritance. I'll tell you, it's amazing to think that we could make God rich when God owns all the silver and all the gold and the cattle on a thousand hills, but God wants us to understand the mystery of the riches of his glory in his inheritance in the saints. What is that? It is Christ in us. We make God rich when we bring souls into the kingdom of God and Christ begins to indwell them and live in them 
and walk in them. The riches of the glory is Christ in us. Hallelujah. A bishop was attending a conference in the U.S. This was a number of years ago. He saw the Holy Spirit moving at this conference in mighty ways. When the meeting was over, he went, this was in California, <clears throat> and he went for a walk along the seacoast in California on the west coast. He wrote, as I was walking, I was caught up with the excitement of all that lay ahead and the thrill of the Spirit of God. I was saying, Lord, now listen, this is a bishop praying. He had seen the moving of the Holy Spirit, and now he's walking and praying. Lord, I will give you anything you want. Lord, I will do anything you want me to do. This sounds like someone who is counting all things as loss for the priceless privilege of knowing God and doing his will. Lord, let me say this again because this is a prayer. I believe every one of us need to pray. Lord, I will give you anything you want. Take a deep breath and think about praying that. Can you pray it and mean it? Lord, I'll give you anything you want. How can you come to the point that you can freely pray this is when you're counting all things as loss for the priceless privilege of knowing him. And then he prayed, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. I want you to think about praying that. That could cost you something. These are expensive prayers. But when you put them up against knowing God, and having him walk with you, and having him bless you, and anoint you, and reveal himself to you. He had no problem praying this, but I want to ask us today, can we freely pray these prayers? Lord, I will give you anything you want. In other words, there's nothing too difficult that you can ask of me. Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. Church, anything means anything. That's a big prayer. These are big prayers. He wrote, he continued writing, I can honestly claim to have only heard the Lord speak about three times in this way, but as clearly as I've ever heard him speak, he said to me, all I want is you. All I want is you. The bishop wrote, it was the most humbling thing 
He can do anything he likes, but all he wants is you. Pastor Davies, I feel like saying, wow. Wow. Church, all he wants is you. But the question is, do we want him enough to become his disciple and to say, I count all things as loss compared to the priceless privilege of knowing you, Jesus. I count all things as lost. Nothing means as much to me as knowing you means to me. Church, God was not satisfied just to possess, to create and possess the sun, the moon, and the stars. He wanted children. People are God's greatest wealth. People are God's greatest inheritance. Our Father wants us as believers to have this revelation and to know his heart, to know what he considers important and significant. He considers people important and significant. He wants us to have revelation knowledge of the glory of his son. Church, it is the glory of his son that saves us, that we may live out God's purposes for our lives. True riches are found in people. Have you entered into your purpose to share the gospel the good news of salvation with those that you come in contact with? I want to ask you, have you ever thought about joining our Kenya Secondary, KS, Kenya Secondary, Kenya Student Christian Fellowship? I've worked on that for years. Some people tell me it's student, and some people tell me it's sec secondary. But do you know, we've, we've, Pastor Davies, there have been, in going into the high schools of Kenya, there have been uh, over 10,000, over 10,000 high schoolers just in the, how many years have we been doing this? Four? Four years. We're in our fourth year of working with KSCF. Over 10,000 secondary students have received Christ. Those working in this program to take the gospel to them understand this is what God values. God values people. People are God's inheritance. Now, is that our value system. I've been talking to you about if you don't have these things straight, you do not have a kingdom of God value system. You may be born again, but you still may largely have the value system of the world. 
but a kingdom of God value system values what God values. Church, by making us God's inheritance, God has shown us his great love. We, you and I, are God's inheritance. People are what God values. Have you entered into your purpose to take the gospel to your generation? When you encounter the lost, are you telling them about the love of God? I read a testimony recently, and then I'm closing. I was so touched by the testimony of this young man called Mark. And like so many, he had a rough start in life. But I tell you, church Jesus delights in taking people who have had a rough start and giving them a beautiful life. And even if we didn't have a rough start, none of us have had a beautiful life without Christ. So we all need uh, Christ to beautify our lives. So I was reading this testimony about Mark. When he was a small child, his parents' marriage broke. And so he was raised by an alcoholic mother, and she was violent. She beat him repeatedly. And when he was 14 years old, he finally stood up to her and said, I'm not going to accept any more beatings from you. And the next day, she committed suicide. So now he has no father and no mother in his life, and he's only 14 years old. So he was put in foster care where he really went crazy. It was difficult. His, his life was very troubled. He was in trouble with the police. He was drinking alcohol. He was taking drugs, and he was involved in all kinds of self-destructive behavior. But thank God, someone noticed this troubled young man and began to share the gospel with him. And it took a while to get a breakthrough, but eventually they led him to salvation. And the man who led him to salvation laid his hands on him and prayed for the Holy Spirit to fill his life and reveal how much God loved him. And church, this young man, he was older than 14 by this time, but he was still a very young man. He broke and that hard heart began breaking up and he wept and wept and wept and powerfully received Jesus Christ as his Savior, and he's still living for God today. Mark was God's treasure. It doesn't matter where you've come from, what your background is, what problem things you've been through, what pain you've been through, how broken your life may be, you are God's treasure. People are God's inheritance. This needs to be the value system of every disciple of Jesus Christ. If we don't understand that, 
we don't know the heart of God. If we don't know how much he loves people and desires for the lost to be saved in every generation, then we do not know God. We can be born again, but we don't understand or know the heart of God. We all need God. Every one of us need God to heal our broken lives, to save us, to enable us to be born again. And then, church, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need a Savior. But then we need the power of God in our lives to enable us to walk with Him and produce fruit, have good works that the Holy Spirit can use us in and empower us to accomplish. We want to bear fruit as believers for the glory of God in the kingdom. My question is, are you willing to count all things as loss for the priceless privilege of knowing him? Would you stand up with me, please? And as you stand up, I'm going to ask you to please lift your hands before the throne of heaven in thanksgiving. Father, we're so thankful for the blessing of hearing your word, for the blessing of hearing of your heart for people, how you love us today, how you yearn for us to know you. Father, I'm praying that you will move in each one of our lives. Help us so order our lives that we make room to get in the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to pray the Word of God. We make time to come before you and have you teach us Disciple us, mentor us, and change us. Father, I pray on behalf of everyone here that there will be a great surrender of our lives to you. A great surrender of our hearts to you. A great opening of our willingness you that we would be willing to enter in to the knowledge of God that we would turn from our own ways I pray Father that we would turn from what the world considers important and that we would allow you to work within us a new value system a kingdom of God value system where we value people as you value people. We value the word as you value the word. We value the companionship of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit as you value 
the work of the Holy Spirit. Father, may we as a congregation enter into new intimacy with you. May we enter into a new closeness to you. Father, may we enter into a new level of a love relationship with you where we can say, my heart loves Jesus. I value what Jesus values. Jesus is the love of my life. Jesus is the treasure of my life. Jesus is the joy of my life. Oh, Father, we thank you for family, for friends, for church, and all the things, all the blessings that you offer us in this life. But nothing and no one can compare to knowing you. Nothing, Father. Nothing this world offers. No one in this world, no human being in this world can compare to you. Father, I'm asking that you would pour out your spirit upon this congregation. Let a radical change come, Father. Take us into new things. Take us into the next level of knowing you. Take us into new levels of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Father, take us where you've purposed for us to go. Father, I thank you for your blessing upon everyone who clings to your word and lives by your word and loves your word. I speak a special blessing upon those who love the word of God. We offer this prayer to you. We offer our lives to you. We offer our hearts to you. We offer our worship to you, dear Lord. We offer our strength to you. We offer our willingness to you. May our worship come before you, Father, as a sweet-smelling sacrifice in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone who agrees says...